Did you know the catacombs under Paris stretch so far beneath the city that we don't know how big they are? We have no idea what's under there. It seems like most of the things we're interested in work that way. So let's try shedding a little light on the things worth exploring. I'm Sam. And I'm Annie. And welcome to the Catacomb Club. We're two friends on opposite sides of the country with an interest in spirituality and academia talk the way of the world. Today's episode is not so secret societies. We're going to touch on a couple of secret societies that we think are interesting, talk about what secret societies are, what they aren't, and again, kind of just go through, you know, the cultural impact of those perceptions and talk about it a little bit. So like all good conversations, why don't we start by defining our terms? Sam, what is a secret society? So a secret society is any of the various oath-bound societies often devoted to brotherhood, moral discipline, and mutual assistance. Uh, Oftentimes they will uh, conceal their membership, their rituals, um, or even their very existence, though not always, you know. Uh, Freemasons are pretty open about being Freemasons, and they consider themselves (laughs) a secret society. So it's, it's it's a little flexible definition. Mm-hmm. And I think it'll come up later. So can you tell me what uh, esoteric means or esotericism means? Yeah, so esoteric uh, has lots of lots of people think different things about what that means. But um, the best definition and the definition I always use is it's secret knowledge. It's it's knowledge mm-hmm. that is hard to access by the general population. Um, you could consider some of academia esoteric. You could consider some of the mysteries of Christianity esoteric. Just anything that is hard to access and even if you can access it might be hard to interpret so what i'm getting is that today we're going to be playing a little fast and loose with our definitions yes 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 we are (laughs) um so i know you did a lot of really brilliant research on the topic and i wanted to ask what is kind of the first secret society look like what i know by nature, a lot of it won't be recorded. But what do we know about way back when? Yeah, so we have evidence of secret societies from all the way back in the Neolithic era, which is which like is like a long 10, time ten thousand BC, yeah. right? Yeah, it's 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 way it's unfathomably long ago. Um, <laughs> mammoths and whatnot were still hanging out, and basically, it was like. Um, as soon as people started living in cities or even like large communities that consistently interacted with each other, even before cities, we have evidence, um, not a lot of, you know, evidence because it's so far, you know, so long ago, but we do have a lot of evidence that, um, these secret societies existed of like groups of people that sort of had rituals and membership rights, um, that, uh, either maintain some kind of order or relationship between peoples um, or that held some kind of knowledge that they thought other groups should not or could not access. Um, and that's kind of like the theme from then all the way today. Um, we have evidence that, uh, I mean, Egypt, secret societies were really common in 
every era of the Egyptian kingdoms, the Old Kingdom, the Middle Kingdom, the Late Kingdom, a lot of secret societies draw, like modern secret societies, draw from those uh, Egyptian ones. Um, there were a lot of Chinese secret societies. Of A lot of times bureaucrats would get together, like Chinese bureaucrats in like the 6th century would get together and they would like make secret bureaucratic cults and like cliques and some people are in, some people are out. Um, and you know, they, they would take on political dimensions sometimes. Sometimes they were just purely like Buddhist cults. Um, well, there's a really rich history of political activism and political end games in secret societies. And it's definitely something we're going to talk about more as we get into modern secret societies, just because I think, Per context, it'll be a little bit easier uh, if we talk about politics in 2020 instead of um, 10,000 BC. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I mean, I, I tried to read a lot of the sources on some of these Chinese secret societies, and it was impenetrable because it's like, I don't know what's going on in the War of the Three Kingdoms. <laughs> I don't. I don't even know when that is, really. Um, we One of the things I am a little bit familiar with is like when the Romans invaded um, what would become England and Scotland, and uh, they attempted to look into invading Ireland, there were these druidic orders that were like secret clubs of druids that would like, basically they pretended to be Roman. Um, but uh, gradually uh, the Roman religion tried to replace the druidic religion. Later Christianity tried to. But these druidic secret societies maintain this kind of lineage of the druids for a long time. And they were actually a source of a lot of rebellion because uh, they sort of kept alive the pre-Roman culture. Um, mm -hmm. And so the Romans constantly tried to like wipe them out, but they couldn't. Um, and then, you know, there are other, pretty much every religion has offshoot secret societies. Islam, um, in a lot of its, uh, in the, uh, sort of its golden age, it had some secret societies of, um, Muslim scholars that, uh, did not agree with sort of the reigning orthodoxy at the time. And so they made like a secret club where they could talk about like all their various thoughts about Islam that were like not super kosher. Um, mm -hmm at the time so um there's a lot of them and they're all over history that's, that's well, the it's point. interesting yeah it's interesting that you bring up the kind of breakaway i want to call them cults but they're not cults secret societies and cults i think the line can definitely be blurry it's one of those things they're not mutually inclusive or mutually exclusive yeah and there's uh, a lot of there's a lot of overlap too there's a lot of crossover yeah and that brings to mind even like Christianity, especially early Christianity, I think a case could be made, strong case, I'm not sure, but a case could be made, made that uh, early Roman Christianity was in its own way a secret society. Yeah. You know, they were an underground group. Of course, the persecutions were on and off for a long time, uh, and they were driven underground, literally underground. They had secret masses, ritual services, so secret that there were like wild rumors about it. You know, people would say they were cannibals after hearing the words of consecration in the mass, which of course is when a Catholic priest takes bread and wine and in during the service, during the mass, it truly becomes the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And that's our communion. So people would hear whisperings that these Christians were cannibals. Um, yeah, which is so crazy. Yeah, and I mean, it's that's that's one of the things that happens uh, with yeah. the secrets. They're not hard to make either. You get a couple people 
No, um, it's very easy. Yeah. And those breakaway groups, too, they happen in Christianity. And there are heresies that I think also you could make a case for being secret societies in their own way. Gnosticism is a, a great example. Mm-hmm. You know, Gnosticism was an early, early heresy in the church that had a lot a, a lot of facets. But one of the main one ones was being privy to secret knowledge, you know, given to you directly by God. And, you know, there was a lot in it about purity and being sinless to be worthy of this esoteric knowledge, which, of course, you know, is a little interesting because scripture famously says, you know, call no man good. Right. Yeah. So yeah. there's that tie, I think. Well, I don't think it's sustainable for anything. But also, when was the last time you met a Gnostic? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, for me, I would say like every day because I think a lot of people are Gnostics, but they don't understand that they're Gnostics. <laughs> of course, um, but then there were other breakaway groups that started um, as heresies and kind of wound up as like secret cults or secret societies. My mind goes to Nestorianism, uh, not quite as strongly as Gnosticism, but that was another theological break in the early church. But then even as the church progresses, as the church is... Uh, completely unified you know they have their councils they decide on official doctrine Uh, there are even like christian endorsed secret societies Uh, as a catholic we're we're pretty comfortable with that you know Mm -hmm. yeah so that's something that's kind of interesting the catholic church famously you're not allowed to be a mason and a catholic so for example you know masons when you become a mason you get a ring yeah if you're a Catholic and you wear your Masonic ring and a, ch- and a priest sees it, you're not allowed to receive communion. Interesting. Yeah, you actually are excommunicated from the church. Wow. How, which, do, you, how do you fix that if that happens? <laughs> <laughs> so mm. I just want to touch on what excommunication is. Historically, excommunication isn't a means of distancing, which is counterintuitive. Excommunication basically means you're shut out of the church. You can't receive your sacraments. You're no longer considered Catholic. Um, you know, if you've ever heard the bell, the book, and the candle, mm-hmm. there in in the old days there was a big ritual for public excommunications, um, and they were almost always used as a tool of inviting people back when they refused to come back themselves. So, for example, say. You know, you're friends with your priest and you happen to mention at a Sunday social, hey, father, I joined the Masons. You know, I don't know what's so bad about them. Like, what's that about? He might call you to his office and say, I want you to know that you've ipso facto excommunicated yourself. So because you've committed this sin, because you've done this thing, you have removed yourself from the church and I can't give you communion until you denounce Masonism and you come back into the fold, you know, until you go to confession and you come back. Yeah. Okay. That, that makes scares sense. a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people think that's really freaky because why should the church be able to tell you what to do? <laughs> uh, but as, as Catholics, we know we have a very different relationship with authority than other religions. Yes. And we're kind of into that. We kind of sign up for that. Uh, yeah. The Catholic Church doesn't let you be part of a secret society. Uh, to put it very simply, why is it secret? Yeah. You know, that's the easiest reason. The Masons, obviously, 
there's a lot of historic tension between the Catholic Church and the Freemasons. Um, but that rule does apply to all secret societies, including things like the Odd Fellows, which you still see around. Yeah, I was actually I was invited to uh, join uh, some organizations, and uh, for a variety of reasons, I was uncomfortable with that. Just because it's like, it is, why why is it secret? Like why you know even if yeah. there's nothing bad happening, like why does it really need to be secret? Um, yeah, I have and members. the other thing too is that a lot of these groups transform over time, and what today might look like a group of old guys that put together bake sales may have very strongly anti-Christian, anti-Catholic, extremely political motivations. And because they're secret nature, we don't know a lot about intention. Yeah. And that's kind of a spooky thing. I mean, that's something I think like the milieu of this conversation hasn't really covered, which is that secret societies are freaky. Yeah, it's weird. And, and that's something as we as we keep talking about this, we'll see that like things do change in these in these yeah. secret societies and, and ideas translate. Mm-hmm. And that's a good loop back into what I was saying with at least in the Christian world, some secret societies are accepted and some aren't. So when you're Catholic, I, I can use the Catholic example because obviously I'm your resident Roman. <laughs> but um <laughs> you like that? Yeah. But Something like the Knights of Malta or Opus Dei, people would call those secret societies where in the Catholic Church we're like, what are you talking about? Knights of Columbus is a really easy example. The Knights of Columbus were formed in the 1880s in the United States. In a big way, they were a Catholic alternative to Freemasonry. Yeah. Um, You know, the... Uh, unfortunately a lot of these groups do have really waspy origins and often the irish the italian they weren't allowed to join them and uh the knights of columbus started as an alternative for those irish catholic immigrants they chose christopher columbus as their patron and they spearheaded a move for his canonization which now is controversial but at the time wasn't and they're a group originally i don't believe it's so anymore but they did have a secret initiation but beyond that, everything was above board. And they still exist. Same thing. Knights of Malta. There are a lot of rumors about the Knights of the Holy Sepulchre. That's an order of... That's like a fraternal order of men who vow to protect the Holy Land. And a big part of their mission is preserving these things financially. And you actually have to go to the Holy Land to get introduced into the Knights of the Holy Sepulchre. Kind of neat. Yeah, yeah. And that's, and that's kind of something we see like as... As modernity happens, you know, as time goes on, um, their their missions don't necessarily change always, but how they accomplish them sometimes does, and that and that kind of brings us into, um, you know, some of the more like politically motivated secret societies. Yeah, I would love to get your opinion on that. I think that's now that we've done our little overview, right? <laughs> um, we're we're so good we're really following our outline today look yeah, at us look at that. yeah we're making up for last week <laughs> mm, yeah, it was so, fun yeah it was fun it was fun while it lasted yes but but yeah um uh, i want to talk about motivation and the next group of secret societies we had planned on talking about i think is perfect for this because they were all kind of political groups mm-hmm. so what's the real like okay Sam, question. Yes. Why? We know what secret societies are. 
why are secret societies? Why is our secret society? Why um, is secret? So what do <laughs> I mean? Like, so a, a good like lean into this, right? Is 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 the Black Hand in World War One, or the the Black Hand, which started World War One, arguably. Um, it's <laughs> not not the Freemasons, not, not the, the Illuminati, not the free. We'll get into that. We will get into that. Um, but. Uh, I think the Black Hand is useful because kind of it's a pretty easy, like small organization of people who Serbian nationalists who wanted to free Serbia, but they got into really occult stuff. They had a secret society. You had to be like a certain level of trustworthiness to like get in. Um, there were lots of like, uh, like rules for like how you could maintain your membership. And they were pretty explicitly, uh, political um but they had lots of strange rituals that we don't understand and a lot of a lot of um the literature that they don't we don't even know what they did really because they you kept know it's it funny because that's not what i associate with the black hand at all yeah you think of the assassination with uh no i think of new york i think of italians here the black hand, the black hand had a huge presence in the united states yeah I did not know that. I basically, I looked into, uh, like, Serbian nationalists and, like, the officer corps. Um, Wait, let me look this up, because I have to be talking about the same thing as you. I mean, it's a really cool yeah. name, so, like, maybe The Black somebody... Hand was, like, an extortion racket in the 1900s. Yeah, okay, so, the Black Hand, I'm looking at Wikipedia... I see. The roots of the Black Hand can be traced to the Kingdom of Naples as early as the 1750s. Yes. And the English language term specifically refers to the organization established by Italian immigrants in the United States during the 1880s. A minority of the immigrants formed criminal, criminal syndicates living alongside each other and largely victimizing fellow immigrants. See... I knew they had a part to play in the world wars, but my most familiar part of it is kind of, I guess, the faction that went dirty because the yeah. black hand is pretty taboo because they were Italians that preyed on other Italians mm -hmm. in the new, like in, in America, which is, I mean, if you know anything about Italians, <laughs> that's not great. Yeah, that's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not really that easy to yeah. forgive. But the, I mean, the, a large part of the like the the black hand in Europe was um, Serbian officers that wanted to like free territory they thought was like rightful Serbian clay, and they shot the Archduke of Austria, and then caused World War One. Um, oh, that was them. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's the black hand. That's uh, what they do. Um, but they had lots of rituals in Serbia and, and they had lots of like, sort of like occult, um, uh, like iconography and whatnot. Um, and then after they kind of accomplished their goal, they like show up on and off, but they're pretty, pretty like much deleted after, <laughs> um, the man, well, I always wonder like mm. groups like that, you know, you say like, oh, well they kind of fell off the grid or even like the Druidic secret societies part of me is always like well did they so with the druids actually they came back later um when sort yeah. of like when details like, on that when, when it, so they you know this was like roman contact and whatnot uh they they slowly faded for a little bit and then in like the 18 the early to mid 1800s in england uh you had these like it's called the ancient order of druids 
And it was these sort of, like, British aristocrats that sort of, like, made these, like, esoteric teaching orders of, like, of, of, of rituals and um, claiming to tap into sort of this, like, ancient ancestral knowledge. And they still exist now, the ancient order of druids. And, you know, there are different organizations that have popped up that claim lineage to the Black Hand or claim to be the Black Hand. Um, Does that have anything to do with the AOH? <laughs> The AOA, what is that? What is the that? Ancient Order of Hibernians? I don't think they're secret at all. I think they're just Irish dudes. Yeah, um, that came up when I was looking at the Ancient Order of Druids. I don't know if they're a secret society. Um, they just put on a fesh every year around May. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think its origins were somewhat. Yeah, it was it was uh, founded in New York City in nineteen thirty or eighteen thirty six. It was founded about the same time. Um, yeah, they, they claim to kind of be connected to the Irish, given that, you know, they were made up of Irish Catholics. I don't um, know. I don't know anything about the AOH. All I know is that I think I'm, I think you have to be a certain percentage Irish to join, and I think I don't meet the threshold. Oof. But also, most of this stuff is just men anyway. Yes, that's the other thing. A lot of these things are, um, primarily men, especially in America, um, and only recently is that changing, and we'll get into that when we get into the Illuminati and the well, uh, Skull and Bones <laughs> Society. There's um, also a huge element of identity involved in secret societies, or some secret societies, I should say. You know, very famously, the Freemasons and the Oddfellows, I know, talk a lot about this. Any race or creed can join. Yes. Like, their whole thing is equality, you know, we've campaigned for equality forever, blah, blah, blah. But often, that's not really the case. I mean, look at the KKK. Yeah, and and that's, that's the other thing with these explicitly political organizations, right? The Black Hand was tended to take on ethnic origins, and it, in Serbia, it was Serbian nationalists. You had the Black Panthers, mm-hmm. who are a Black Panther, uh, you know, Black political, Black nationalist, politically motivated uh, group with um, a lot of secret origins, and there are some elements of it that had... Um, Secret initiation rites and secret rules mm-hmm. and things like that. I mean, obviously, there were parts of the Black Panthers that were just like, they worked at the Breakfast Club and they organized politics. Yeah, that were are... blatantly solely political. Yeah, and the, but there are but elements crossover. Yeah, there are elements. And the KKK, you know, they, they have these robes and they have these sacred orders and they're grand wizards and the, the grand cyclops and all these like kind of strange... <laughs> Like names and things. I don't want to be the Grand Cyclops. I don't know if you want to be the Grand Cyclops. (laughs) Um, But but yeah, they have, you know, they're they're very, and when you look at them, like they burn crosses, they meet in the woods at night. Like that's just like, if, if it didn't have the racial sort of animus behind it, and like we were totally viewing that neutrally, you'd be like, that's a kind of intense cult. That's a death um, cult. Yeah, like that's a death cult that's like meeting in the woods and burning things, like in robes mm-hmm. that cover their faces. Um, and then you've got, you know, um, various nationalist movements. This really peaked in popularity towards the end of the 1800s into the beginning of sort of like the 1900s up until like the 20s, 30s, and 40s. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of fascist movements are really connected to um, like secret societies and the occult, the Nazis and the SS. Like the SS was... That's very famous, yeah. Yeah, they were like political death squads and like the party, the you know, the armed party of the Nazi party. But then yeah. they have all these initiation rituals and they had like 
halls where they kept their like honored dead it was they had like secret rooms and there were lots of see you know well there was we don't know because a lot of it was destroyed yeah and there was also the hybrid again of that um maybe hybrid's the wrong word it was like the synthesis of personal racial identity or personal cultural identity with that esoteric religious piece you know famously the nazis were super into germanic lore 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 yeah (laughs) Uh, like the nordic religions and paganism and pagan revivalism and then also that political element which you know it's funny because it's almost like you see these groups operate in all spheres of power there's like the personal identity or the identitarian aspect of it I i think like something like the kkk is or nazis is really easy because they're so terrible they're so absolutely awful and unforgivable they were really obvious about everything. Yeah. So, like the Nazis, you know, they have the identity part of it, which is the Aryanism uh, or the German blood. And then there's the spiritual part of it we see in their obsession with the occult on top of the neo-pagan revival. And then there's the political element, which is pretty obvious, trying to yeah. literally take over the free world. So it's almost like they tap into every area of power they can consider, and they do their best to completely overtake it by uh, means that they don't give out. Yeah, that's that's a big thing. Am I being really obvious here? Am I just <laughs> restating what we've been saying? They want a lot of power, so they don't tell anybody how they get it. Exactly. Uh, that's, that's, that's a a too long didn't read. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then that begs the question, is any of that power real? I mean, the Skull and Bone Society is one. Isn't that like, that's a group at Harvard, right? I think it's Yale. Is it Yale? Yale or Harvard? Harvard. Um, It would be funny if it was Harvard. Harvard's kind of known for having a wacky, uh, spiritual stuff go on. Um, yeah, let's see. Skull and Bones. It's a secret society, Yale. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, and th- th- so actually right. with them, um, there's, lo- there's a lot of uh, interesting little uh, trivia on them. Tell uh, me all your trivia. <laughs> so Give it uh, to us. Members are known as Bones and Bonesmen. Like, if you're a member of the Skull and Bones, you're a Bones man. Um, Bone daddy. Yeah. <laughs> But they have That's like, from Nightmare Before Christmas. I'm not calling you Bone Daddy. I would hope not. Um, <laughs> but but um, so like the Skull and Bones when it started, you know, it started at this religious college, and it has all these really like occult and kind of like uh, macabre trappings. And there's you know, there's supposedly they have skulls and whatnot in. in you know their what? We hall. can't say anything. We're literally called the Catacomb Club. This is true, but I don't have any skulls in my house. Uh, do you have skulls in your house? Uh, I'm uh, afraid that I'm not privy to disclose that oh, information. Oh, I see. <laughs> but um, so there was actually there was a thing where the Skull and Bones Society, its lodge. There's rumors that it had the skull of the uh, chief uh, Geronimo in it, and his ancestors or his his like descendants sued them for it. And unfortunately, that didn't go anywhere. But is that allowed? I, the thing like, is, I know you're allowed to own skulls. You're allowed yeah. to own human bones. I, they're actually surprising. Don't ask me how I know this. They're actually surprisingly easy to buy. 
<laughs> in the U.S., hey, uh, they're like anybody, not that anybody expensive. Wants to buy a corpse, DM us. <laughs> no, do not DM us to buy a corpse. We don't have uh, until one day. One day I kill you. <laughs> Yes, but um, the, the Skull and Bones Society—they have these. You know, there, there's rumored that one of their early rituals was you basically had to list off all your like sexual interactions and adventures, and like it's at this Christian theological college, and you're having to and and like engage in sexual behavior and discuss your sexual history, and like you know they supposedly have all these like skull and bones in their like lodge, and but the thing is, only members can enter, so they can't prove that he that they have the um the head of uh, the skull of geronimo because nobody's ever seen it it's just kind of like a rumor they probably yeah, do in my opinion but and um, that's something i don't know if it's geronimo but they probably have somebody yeah uh, i wouldn't be surprised especially yale has a medical college doesn't it uh yes so why wouldn't they have bones mm-hmm like, but, why wouldn't some sticky-fingered uh, <laughs> trust fund baby in 1890 pick up a skull and say, hey, guys, this is an Indian war chief? Um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And so they have all these secret um, sort of membership things and, like, part of the rules, you know, some of the, some of the like, speculated rules and some of the rules we do know about is that, like, if you're a member, you're supposed to will part of your estate to them when you die. But in return, you're um, guaranteed a standard of living. You're sort of guaranteed that you will always kind of be in the game. Well, um, something interesting, too, about the Skull and Bones is that, like, you know, there are a lot of conspiracy theories, which we didn't really touch on, uh, which I, I'd like to get into. Yeah. As yeah. we get a little further into the conversation. But a lot of these organizations, like, we have proof that very powerful people historically and on a contemporary basis have belonged or do belong to them i mean famously what was it like all but four signers of the declaration of independence were freemasons yeah right isn't that a thing i don't know don't quote me on that i don't know if it's all but i know it's a lot like it was yeah it's a bunch of them or like the skull and bone society wasn't george bush part of it both george bushes and yeah. I think the other George Bush that didn't get in and like oh, a bunch Jeb. of a bunch of current White House officials, Obama White House yeah. officials. Like, and then even other the things you hear about, like Bohemian Grove. Yeah. Right? We've all seen. So Bohemian Grove is a club in. Are you texting? I am not, actually. Are you texting while we're on air? I'm not. I'm making notes. Oh, wow. I take it back. <laughs> I take it all back. I'm being bullied, audience. Uh <laughs> It's going to be like, I had to turn off my phone mid-baking plans. You're not allowed to do it. <laughs> sorry, I, I'm sorry that I doubted your academic integrity. <laughs> From the bottom of my heart. I do yeah. apologize. I'm looking up but, members of the uh, Bohemian Grove. Yeah, well, I wanted to say Bohemian Grove. It's in California, right? Yes. So the Bohemian Grove is a private club in California. And very famously... None other than, um, what's his name? Oppenheimer? No, they're making the frogs gay. What's his name? Alex Jones. Alex My Jones. My sweet baby who is Alex a, Jones. <laughs> an incredible Ooh. conspiracy theory radioist. Um, really, and I mean incredible in, in the truest sense of the world. What a roller coaster of a person. He's He's pretty nutty, but he snuck in there one day. And there is actual footage 
of him walking in on some strange ceremony of a giant burning effigy, uh, which I do not think is faked. It was like way before Alex Jones became famous. Yeah. Shaky body cam, like, and it's weird. It's weird. So a lot of these secret societies, I think there is some merit. I don't think it's crazy to say that the skull and bones thing makes you uncomfortable or that Bohemian Grove, which a bunch of politicians and socialites belong to, something funky is going on as they they literally burn giant effigies and idols and dance around it. Like Yeah. And like also like we should we should note like this isn't just like us the proles complaining about Bohemian Grove. Like Richard Nixon complained about the Bohemian Grove. Like, yeah. f- like presidents that weren't in on it were like, yeah, they're ruining the country. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I don't like it. Yeah, like Nixon actually, he he said some very things that I can't put on the podcast because uh, there's lots of expletives that are. Oh, uh, send me them. Uh, I will. Do you but... have any of it in front of you? Yeah, I do. Uh, that's kind Can of what I was looking at. Can you give up. us like a tapered, I'll... censored? Yes. Um, so, mention of the morally robust Soviet Union prompts Nixon to contemplate its decadent antithesis, Northern California. He tells Ehrichman, San Francisco has gone clean over. It's unclear what they were referring to, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's just not the ratty part of town. It's the upper class of San Francisco. It's that way, the Bohemian Grove, which I, uh, which I attend from time to time. And then he, it's the most expletive, expletive, expletive thing you could ever imagine <laughs> with that San Francisco crowd. I can't shake hands with anyone in San Francisco. Um, oh my god! <laughs> there's some homophobic slurs in there. It's pretty. There's there's it's very spicy. Um, but yeah, he like is r- like ranting on the phone about how evil they are and gross, and he thinks they're gross and icky and weird. And there's so other what I'm people. getting at is that you're not crazy if you're like, hey, secret societies. There's something up with that. Yeah, like and I'm- that that whole power play thing. In a way, I kind of have to ask, like, does it work? Yeah, and I mean, there's there's you know? an element of at least with me, there's an element of like. You know, these are like rational, powerful people. Um, is the occult just something to build like community? Is it something to establish, like to separate? Or is there something to it? Do they like, do they actually believe in it? Or is it just something they do because they do? Um, so you used the word occult. Yes. Let's talk about that a little. So, I mean, like with, with the burning of effigies and like masked robe meetings and things like that for these societies, like, you know, does the Skull and Bones believe that the skull of Geronimo contains power? Do they just have it because it's cool? Do they have it because, like, it's it's a dangerous thing and if you go down, you all go down together? Or is it, like, are they using it for something? Is there some kind of, like, magic or, like, do they think there's some kind of magic behind it? Um, mm-hmm. And you even get this with, like, um, I, you know, my degree, I've interacted a lot with um, different Jewish communities um, where there are Jewish communities that fully believe everything in Judaism because they're Jewish. And then there are Jewish communities that do everything the people that fully believe in Judaism say, but they just do it because they think it keeps them together. So it's kind of like, are you... What's are you... the distinction between that and like a cultural Jew? What do you mean keeps them together? So like there's, there's um, where I live, there are two synagogues, right? And one of the synagogues, I, I interview them a lot. I interact with them a lot. And um, one, one. I like how you say interact. Like it's a different species. They're just <laughs> Jews. Well, I interact with people that you know that are not my religion. Um, a lot. This is like um, this is one of those cultural things, like a New York thing. 
Mm. You're like, I've interacted with Jews, and I'm like, everyone I know is Hasidic. Yeah, out, out here, there are, there, there's the Jews that are out here. Uh, oftentimes, are not open about being Jewish, so you wouldn't mm-hmm. know. But um, sometimes they really are. But I've both of these synagogues. One of them in interviews, they were like, "Yeah, we don't even know if any of this is real." Like they, they were like, they didn't believe that like Rebecca or Sarah or Abraham were like their ancestors. They were more like metaphorical, like paragons to like emulate. And they like come together and they do synagogue and they keep the Sabbath and they do all this stuff um, because they think that it's important culturally. But they do all the, you know, all the rituals. You know, I've been to there. I've been been there when they're like. Uh, lighting the candles and doing the ritual dinner and all that stuff. And then you go literally like a, across town and there's a group of Jews, some of which go to both, um, who believe all of it and they do all the same rituals, but they believe that there is some kind of metaphysical power behind it. And so part of me is like, do the Illuminati or the Bohemian Grove or the Skull and Bones, like, are they doing what that first group is doing? Or are they doing what the second group is doing? Do they believe it? Or do they believe in its utility? Okay, so I just want to make it perfectly clear to our audience, we're not calling Judaism an occult secret society. No, no. <laughs> um, we're not at all. I, I totally understand the reference. I just feel the need to say. Yeah, I mean, it'd be like, I, I, it'd be like if I went to a, a, a Christian church where they were like, we do this because it's our identity. In fact, actually, Protestant, some yeah. Protestant churches um, do communion and they don't believe it means anything. They just do it because Jesus did yeah. it. Um, yeah. and it's like Which that. Which is not like, uncommon. Yeah. It's not it's an like, uncommon belief in Christian sects. So you can go to like a Christian church and they'll do communion and they believe that it's just a thing and it represents things and it keeps you together and it reminds you of the past. And then you go to a Catholic church and it's literally God to them. Right. Yes. And, and those people like, it's not like one's morally inferior or not, like in a neutral setting. Um, mm-hmm. it's just like one group views it as like a something that is, has utility and one group views it as something that has spiritual power. And that's yes. the thing with the occult and these secret societies. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Like, is burning so that's an the interesting effigy trend. That's an interesting trend. I'm saying that's an interesting trend, but I'm not telling you what trend I, I noticed <laughs> that you're talking about. Something that may be an interesting trend historically is our shift from understanding the power of God from being external to internal, mm-hmm. right? What do you mean Because even myself, so like even myself, as someone who's been doing this religion thing for kind of a long time. A wee bit. Um, <laughs> in like kind of very involved capacity, I realized this weekend, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I like, I was working at an evangelization booth at a street fair, And I had this moment where I was like, man, I do this. Like, yeah, it's your thing. You're like, the, I'm like you're really the... out here on a Saturday night doing this. <laughs> anyway, there's this, even for myself, I feel like when I think of the power of God, one of the first things I think of is like, oh, the power of God to transform my life or transform my understanding of my self-worth or to actualize, to, um, you know, to to mold me in the fire and, and mm-hmm. make me something more good or more holy. Whereas I think that's a huge difference from the historical way of looking at God as God is the effector of change and power in the universe. Yeah. And it's funny because these secret societies kind of do that, right? They say that, or or what we're talking about theoretically, 
these secret societies may do that to affect power on the world. So it goes from being spirituality as a means of personal self-actualization and, um, you know, edification through God as being kind of the righteous, powerful, incredible God that can make you the president. Yeah. Rather, it becomes like this whole power of the universe thing that you have to uh, use as the lens. Yeah. and So something like the Skull and Bone Society. Why did a bunch of them become presidents? Yeah. And it's like, is it because they kind of like make a deal? Like, I mean, it's pretty, It's if you look into them, it's pretty obvious that everybody that like has looked into them finds that they like guarantee that anybody involved will like be able to keep playing the game. Like the... the Status yeah. and power. Um, Status, like it, you'll, power and, and and but also like is is that why they're presidents that they're like all linked in together and it's a very powerful networking tool that establishes social trust, or is it that they're like wizards that like have or are they drinking goat blood out of yeah. the skull of Geronimo? Yeah. Um, there was actually so here a little, little bit. Of, I'm not gonna. I hope I don't dox myself, but um, we kind of already <laughs> have. Well. Uh, I feel like we dox ourselves this every day. I dox every day. Um, but but um, my high school, there were rumors about my high school that um, we sacrificed goats on the roof and stuff. Um, because my high school was a little bit weirder than the, like, the surrounding high schools. And we were comparatively way smaller. And a lot of us oh. like stuck together, maintained friendships like long term. Like people in the high school that graduated kind of stuck together they ended up marrying each other a lot they like tend to be friends they become involved in the community people from my high school so literally the exact opposite of my high yes school, apparently where if i see someone i went to school with in the grocery store i hide behind the next aisle wow that's the opposite <laughs> of me uh yeah no literally the and, opposite. That, and that's the thing that we're kind of like i mean yeah a lot of it's just high school rivalries but like there were like legitimate like people were like oh they all stick together and like all of them kind of like end up yeah. kind of in the same cluster, there must be something culty going on. The other thing is that because a lot of these groups... So Skull and Bones, again, a great example because it comes out of Yale. Mm -hmm. If I had to take a wild guess, I'm not looking at the statistics here, but if I had to take a wild guess of the uh, percentage of students that go on to have a very high social status... Or, you know, become millionaires, whatever, become famous politicians. I would guess that Ivy League schools rank a little higher than most places. So you're already dealing of a, with a concentration of power, whether that's social power, political power, um, financial power. And it makes kind of a perfect storm. Same thing with something like, you know, the KKK. Yeah. Whereas they're they were white landowners, white business owners, people that came from privilege and power in the beginning of it all. So And they was it the time and place? Yeah, and they, they tended to find themselves elected into office or in yeah. you know And they're still around. Yeah. I mean I haven't heard of them in a long time. They, but they're still they're, around. Last I checked, now granted, you know, I checked a couple years ago, but last I checked their numbers are under six thousand and they basically wield no influence whatsoever. Well, they kind of have a bad reputation. Yeah, you know, just a little bit. But, I mean, like, even here, <laughs> so, like, out here in in good old uh, wonderful California where there's no racism ever, that's a lie. But we kind of, Californians Wild. like to think that there is no racism in California. But, like, we have an active KKK chapter, uh, like, six miles from my house. 
Uh, and I live in one of the most liberal counties in the country. Um, Normally, I would make a joke whenever there's a weird group around you where I'm like, oh, you should join. Like, oh, an alien cult 50 miles from your house? You should join. Yeah. Don't join. I, I don't, I, don't, I don't visit. Plan on it, but don't like, go. I have all these stories from like bars that my dad used to play music at of like KKK members like would show up and like just take over the bar and stuff. Um, oh my god! And that's like that. I mean, that was only in the eighties, and like there's yeah, and I they're still doing. Stuff. I want to reemphasize too because we talk about these things and the way that we know they mm-hmm. are and the things that we do know about them, but there's so much that we don't like. And y- that example is really interesting because I would only think of that ever happening with like Hell's Angels. Yeah, like oh, they all rolled into the bar and everyone left because they were scary. But, like, we know what Hell's Angels does. Yeah, they, they sell drugs you know? and kill people. They sell drugs um, and kill and people. And apparently they're really Whereas, fun to hang out with, but... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that really seems like my kind of no, crowd, would, but go yeah, off, yeah, I guess. No. I don't know, Sam. <laughs> apparently the bars around you were pretty We're rough. pretty cool. Uh, you should come visit. Uh. <laughs> But then, whereas the KKK, we know they kill. We know they advance horrible, dehumanizing, racist policy. Uh, We know they're horrible and violent. But what we don't know is what they do when we're not seeing it. We know that that's not all they do. Because there's that whole element of we can't tell you or our members are secret and that's the other thing, too, which is the element of blackmail in secret societies. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, with the Skull and Bones, going back to them or the Illuminati and, and these other groups, um, part of, like, what, like, do you just list your sexual history and all your exploits because it's part of the ritual? Or do you do it so that they can kind of, like, have power over you? I'm going to take a wild guess and say it's the latter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But also, like, that also builds trust. There may be a utility to that. You know, like, um, and there is a fraternal purpose to some extent, I'm sure. Yeah, and which is like uh, going back to things like the Masons or the Odd Fellows. Like, in a lot of ways, some of these things are community groups, and I imagine even the spookier or more shrouded versions are community groups in their own way. Like the Skull and Bones, they're a community group, they're a fraternal group for people that are particularly have influential roots, or for whatever person deems them to have, you know a chance at a real future, a real influential future. Yeah, and I mean, like, that's like, like, with, with, um, not to go back to the KKK again, but, like, the people that are... No, they're a really good example, because everyone knows who they are in their scary. Yeah, and the thing is, is, like, the people, like, the KKK is, like, everyone knows who they are, everyone doesn't like them, they're scary, and people still join them, and that means that people believe in whatever they're doing. Like, somebody believes in whatever's going on there. Because if that's like the lowest social status you can be is a member of the KKK. That's like the butt <laughs> of every middle school joke it really about an evil. It does not get worse yeah. than that. They're like, well, that's the thing too. There's that split between the way that we perceive secret societies. So, like the Freemasons and the KKK, or the Freemasons and the Nazis, I would never consider to be on the same level, but. That's the element of of secret that makes it scary, because for all we know, everything that goes on in the public with one group can be going on in private with another. Yeah, and I mean... And vice versa. And, and like... I'm sure there's been a KKK bake sale. <laughs> well, they, I'm they sure. had a couple senators, so I'm sure that, like, they... Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, like, and that, like, with the Skull and Bones, they guaranteed that, like, people would, like, 
be in the game, but there are other things. There's like the Ancient Order of the Foresters. Um, what is so that? It's, I've never it's, heard of it's claims lineage from the Royal Order of the Foresters, which is sort of a, a order of foresters. Um, oh yeah, that. <laughs> Well, it was it was a, it was a group of people in like the Middle Ages um, in England who uh, were like sort of like keepers of woods, reserves, and forests, and they kind of pooled resources together. It was like a, almost like a guild, right? Um, but okay. but then it kept expanding, and it's expanded to like park rangers and like naturalists and like foresters and like anything kind of in that sphere. That's kind of cool. Um, That's really kind of endearing. Yeah, and the thing is, is like they had lots of rituals. Uh, they had political organization. They had you know the, one of the requirements for entry at one point for some of their chapters was you had to be at least a deist, like you had to believe in a god. So we know that there was some sort of spiritual element in a lot of their stuff. Um, but then, like, one of the main things they did is men who had families or other dependents, um, who, like, the, when the man was the main wage earner, um, they could pay a, um, level into, the, it was almost like an MLM, they could pay into, um, this society, and it, the society then promised the men that joined that their families would be supported if they die, become sick, or unemployed. And so a lot of these societies, if you like really kind of like start looking at like maybe like less popular or like um, less famous secret societies, like uh, the, the Ancient Order of the Foresters and the Knights of Pythis are really good examples um, where they basically they had insurance companies where they would... you. Wait, was Pythis, was Pythis the one that was like the music of the spheres? I think so... The one that we don't really know anything about. All we know is that he was kind of nutty. Maybe. I, the Knights of Pythus are really interesting. I actually have a Knights of Pythus sword. Um, what? Yeah, so my, when, when my dad died, um, the, uh, found in his stuff was a Knights of Pythus sword. Um, he was a knight of Pythus. I don't know. I never. There's nothing else about it. But he had a sword from the knight, like the Knights of Pythus, and that's how I like investigated them because the sword looks, you know, it's got lilies on it. It's got all these like this Latin. I was like, what is this? Was my dad a Freemason? No. Um, there was some connection with my dad and the Knights of Pythus. Um, so now I have a Knights of Pythus sword. If anybody, so wants wait, it. what is the Knights so of Pythus? So it was one of the only organizations. Also, why are you trying to get rid of his sword? I don't know if it was his sword. I don't, I, like, he never <laughs> talked about it. Um, but the Knights of Pythus is one of the only organizations that was um, created by an act of Congress uh, in the United States. It was, like, chartered by Congress. Um, and kind of they were just like, yeah, we're, they have, like, initiation rituals. Um, they they consider themselves non like denominational or like non sectarian. Um, their their motto is uh, let me find it. It's like emblazoned on everything. Um, it's like fraternity, community, and brotherhood. Um, but it, it's getting a little French. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that, that's the thing. A lot of them there. There's it's basically variations on. Uh, equality, fraternity, uh, humanity, or for, uh, you know, uh, whatever. Yeah. And that is an interesting, that's really interesting because I'm, I, I feel like unpacking how it got created by the United States government is like a huge question. And before we get into that, there's also a histories of groups like this having real political yeah. power. Yeah. 
Like, they're really, really strong historical pieces of evidence of, like, the Freemasons and their impact on the French Revolution or the Russian Revolution. Like, a lot of these groups being anti-one government, pro-another. Same thing like the Black Hand you were talking about in during the World Wars. It goes back so much further, which makes it all spookier. But I cut you off. What, how did Congress So basically like a... A secret society? So what? <laughs> just, you know, Louis Armstrong was a member of the Knights of Pythas. Uh, like uh, uh, Warren G. Harding, uh, the president. Yeah, but how did Congress make Basically, it? it was just a bunch of Why? influential people like chartered it. Um, and they like, they got it in... Um, to Congress, like chartered through Congress, um, it's still got two thousand lodges. Uh, it was founded in Washington wow. D.C. It was basically founded as a secret society um, of like influential people, poets, like just just kind of like yeah. people um, to advance these causes of like um, brotherhood, helping each other, and and um, fraternalism, and um, they have like subordinate orders and uh, and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Membership was limited to males in good health who believe in any supreme being. Um, that's pretty normal. Yeah, and they, like they require, they, but that's interesting though, right? Like if it's just an uh, yeah. like a group of people who are influential, why do you have to believe in a, in a just a supreme being? You know, um, like what mm-hmm. what element is that? Well, then that goes back to the power question. Of are these secret rituals? Do you believe that they're just, you know, playing dress up? Yeah, and and you know, playing pretend and you know, having fun with your friends. And that's and that's and being well. Also, sorry mm-hmm. to cut you off. That element, like you had mentioned offhandedly, there are poets in the group. There's something to be asked. That's like, is this just some weird arty? high class larping yeah so so the um the knights of pythas their female organization um because a lot of them made like like uh like like if you're a mason right there's there's like different mason organizations there's also like yeah. rainbow girls and like other like masonic lodges for women under the yeah. freemasons so they're the knights of pythas their female order is called um it's kind of funny there's two names one of them is really like really intense, and the other is not intense at all. Uh, so the real intense name, their official name, is the Dramatic Order of the Knights of Khorasan, which is I had to look up. It's a province in Iran. Like Khorasan is like a oh. region in Iran, um, and their symbol is like oh. an Islamic. <laughs> it's like a bunch of Islamic uh, like crescents and like a tiger, and they were also known as Dokis. <laughs> Spelled donkey without the N. Um, and, and, and like, there's a lot. The other thing is there's a lot of overlap. Like, if you look at people who are members of these organizations, like. Yeah, well, that's the other thing. Like, a lot of people aren't just one. Yeah. Like, people double, triple, quadruple dip on secret society. It's like, you can be a Mason and an odd fellow. Yeah. And the same thing, though, in, in, in like, that Christian sphere we were talking about. You can be a knight of Columbus and a knight of Malta and a knight of the Holy Sepulchre and a knight of any other group that exists. Yeah, you like know? if you're just really ambitious and really cool and everyone likes you, like... Um, there also is a practical element of these things, which is networking. Yeah, and I mean... We kind of touched on that a couple yeah. times, but like there are practical reasons that people would join these groups outside of the spirituality. Yeah, But 
I want to turn the conversation away from specific groups and I want to talk a little bit about the broader implications of the existence of secret societies, our views on them, their actions in the history of Western culture, specifically the United States specifically. And that would be that I think um, we live today in a really low trust society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it seems to be the lower trust, the lower the trust level is in our society, the less attention something like secret societies get. Mm -hmm. So the golden age of secret societies in this country was around the turn of the century into the 1900s. Yeah, it was like 1820 to like 1900, right? Like From what I had read, they said the golden age was like 1900 to 1920. Which makes sense, right? Especially with the crash, you know everything like that falling off there's a really a lot of opulence a lot of hope um a new world like so many different groups of immigrants i imagine people wanted to parse out their piece of the world their slice of the pie for themselves whatever also a lot of tension with you know an increasingly globalized society which in the 1920s was kind of our first wind of global connection with radio and you you see this in these groups a lot of them like borrow very heavily from like previous cultural groups um or like yeah and there's a lineage of them there's a lineage of them just like we were talking about but i think there's something to be said for the way that we view trust the way we trust our neighbors the way we trust power or don't trust power the way we trust ourselves or don't trust ourselves so like the conversation about excommunication earlier If, you, if you're a Mason, you can't be a Catholic. I can see how that would make somebody extremely uncomfortable with the Catholic faith. Yeah. Yeah. So, that being said, um, why are we not okay with that, but we're okay with being bound to secrecy by an organization? Yeah, that's an interesting, like... Like... Why are we okay with being bound to obedience by something like, oh, the Freemasons, they're just old dudes. But if an organization doesn't want you to be part of it, that organization is evil. Or like the Skull and Bones. Why don't we talk about it? Yeah. And I I think part of that is like, there's been kind of, especially recently, I don't, you know, I can't speak for like before I was born, but like there's... What? You're supposed to know everything about everything. (laughs) right. Who's smart co-host? But there's there's a lot of like taboo about even talking about this stuff. You know, like a lot of times, like I'm a religious studies person, and I have to talk about this stuff a lot. And even in academic contexts, I have to like constantly clarify that like I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't, you know, like I'm not. I'm not. But I a little. I mean, I am. But like when I'm talking to you, like in this episode, right? I have done pretty much nothing conspiratorially. I have like just. Well, we're not talking yeah. about our own views. We're, we're talking about what, what is and what we know. And, yeah. like, if I was having this conversation sort of, like, at a conference, I would basically have to build up credibility and be like, yes, I am normal and well-adjusted and I don't believe Bohemian Grove is, like, killing and eating babies. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, like, we don't know that they're not and we don't know what they're doing. <laughs> and, like, yeah. but it's kind of, there's this, you know, this this kind of, like... Everybody likes the X-Files, but they don't like the implication of the X-Files, you know? Like, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a fun concept, but if you talk about, like, oh, the government hides things from people, now you're a weirdo conspiracy theorist. But I do think overall, like, in my experience talking to people about generalized nonsense, 
A lot of people I know believe 100% that Area 51 has aliens in yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, count you know? me among them. And I think uh. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people would agree that, like, wait a minute, something is weird here. Something is off or wrong here. Yeah, like... And maybe it's just the sense of powerlessness that we feel. The other thing is that there's... I think when these groups were more common, there was something equalizing or there was some power in saying that you were part of a secret society and so was the president. Yeah. And that's not even the same secret society. Whether, you know, that's awesome. If you're a Mason now, you can say George Washington was a Mason too. Mm -hmm. Like you have some kind of connection to that powerful person. But even say you were, you know... A rough-handed immigrant in the black hand shaking people down on the streets of New York City. Like, you were entitled to your secrets that were just yours. That esoteric nature that it just belonged to. It was for nobody else that this singled you out and made you important. Whereas today, it's like we don't really value that in the same way. Yeah, I mean, they're really... Or maybe we don't value spirituality on a whole. Like, what do you think that's about? Why are there less secret societies I mean, today? I think a lot of it is just, just like churches, just like anything, just like bars, just like any community organization and like place where people like kind of congregated. Since the 50s, it has declined. There are lots of people that like don't know why or how or when. Um, I would say, you know, it started long before the internet. It will continue, you know, for a long time. I think the internet's a major contributor to it. I think increased... I think it expedited yeah, the process. secularization is, is part of it. Sort of like... Um, Again, expedited the yeah. process. Like, it was already um, happening. Because you look at, like, the Knights of Pythus, right? They had, you know, millions of members in the 30s. And now they have, like, 2,000 chapters, and, like, they're, they're not... A lot of, actually, in my research... A lot of these sort of like secret societies, um, as they were collapsing, transitioned into becoming insurance companies because. Well, you had mentioned that yeah, earlier. They, they yeah. already had the infrastructure to offer this like mutual aid thing, and so now like like the knights, the knights of Pythias, the knights of Columbus, even like their big thing is life insurance. Yeah, I know a lot of men that are knights for the life insurance, and I don't blame them. They pay their dues. Yeah. They show and, up, and in, so as. The, uh, a lot of them owned insurance companies, and then like like ni- in 1930s, uh, the insurance uh, like department of the Knights of Pythias uh, became a mutual life insurance company, later known as American United Insurance Company. Uh, the Order of the Ag- the Foresters uh, turned into a a couple insurance companies in the Northwest. Like they basically like as their membership declined, they basically transactionalized the services they offered. Um, they despiritualized yeah, the nature of, but the group. it still kind of impoverished the group because it's like there's being a member of a fraternal order that gives you insurance is cool and nice, and now you have insurance, and I'm sure lots of people might have just joined because of that. But there's more to it, you know, like why not just buy insurance? Like if there's a market for it, why not just buy insurance? It was offering something else, and I think whatever yeah. it was offering is either less valued or less important. Um, or less necessary as time has gone on and as like sort of like people's lives have become faster, less community centered. You know, most people don't know their neighbors. Like, well, also there's that, I think too, I mean, I'm going to parse this out as I say it. I've been going a little bit in circles this episode. Thanks for bearing with me. Um, I'm working through some thoughts as they come. 
One of which is that I think our relationship with power has changed a lot in terms of our own agency and our own power itself. So not necessarily our relationship. I mean, yes, this is part of it, our relationship with authority and authoritarian um, power, but with personal agency, which is that I think in the past people did have more power over their situation. Uh, And I don't just mean that in like the very on the nose American dream, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, whatever that means uh, thing. But I think even people felt like they had more power over their land, that they had higher stakes in their community, um, that they had more power over their families, over their children, their wives, their husbands, whatever. And maybe the decline of secret societies is paired in some way with a devaluing of the traditional sense of power. Yeah, there's been, um, that's a really, like, kind of, I really like that. And I think that... Thanks! <laughs> I made it myself. Wow. Um, I had to say one insightful thing this episode. And it was very insightful. I think that that, that, <sighs> that is, like, really paired with sort of, like, as democracy is kind of, like, not just democracy but like as modern government has continued to like kind of like like remove uh accountability personal agency yeah, accountability, accountability. Agency. yeah like like um if my governor fails in something it's very unlikely that i need that like i can do anything even like if regional like regional players fail it's very hard to unseat them or like replace them or like actually get them to listen to me um in in the past, uh, th- like that, it was a lot easier to like form coalitions. It was a lot easier to like have a direct relationship to power. And I think those networks really mattered a lot more. Like I do, I do still believe that like your net worth is your network, as people say. I know that's kind of like a what? Yeah, have you ever heard that? I thought it was your network is your network. That's what I said. Your network is... You said your net worth is your oh, network. I apologize. It's... Wait, did I? I'm going to edit this later and probably realize <laughs> I, think I heard it's, you it's your net. Your network is your net, net worth. Um, and I think that's a thing. Oh, man, all my friends are broke. Um, <laughs> um, but but like, I think it's true, but I think it's less true. Like, knowing the well-to-do people in my community... Um, which I do, I do know the well-to-do people in my community, has not brought me great great wealth and influence. It's brought me, like, I know a guy who can help me do a thing. Well, that's also, like, the destruction of local economies that's paired with that. Yeah, like... I mean, if all jobs are totally decentralized, mm-hmm. right? Like, then why does it matter? If you If when you work for the telephone company, you're not an operator in your own town... Who cares? Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like, who cares if you know someone who works for Verizon? Or, you know, the same thing. Like, if your electric company is a national conglomerate, who cares if you're the town electrician? Yeah, or even with government. Like, um, you know, I you, you know that I, I have interactions with um, and work with, like, local governments. And, like, people that know me will be like, hey, can you make this happen? And it's like, no, because there's so many rules there's so many like levels mm-hmm. of power. There's so much bureaucracy that it's like, even if even if like in theory I could do something, I kind of can't, you know. And it's yeah. it's only in like kind of like fall between the cracks scenarios that you really are able to to have that influence. And I think that kind of impoverishes us. Like the fact that we don't have these societies, 
um, and communal organizations and the fact that like your church isn't the center of your community or that like you're yeah, but we're um, not talking about but, that. For the first yeah. time, we're not talking about that. We're talking about secret yeah, societies. But I think that like the, the, the like the, these secret societies disappearing is something that is bad. Like I don't necessarily think all oh, they're all doing something good, but I think the like it's it's a symptom of something that is bad. Um, you could also flip it, and you could say I think there's the angle of saying, oh, you know, the, the destruction of community. And local economy is bad. So the downfall of secret society is bad. I think you could also say that low trust societies um, necessitating higher levels of accountability, thus the destruction of secret organizations, can be good. Obvious example being the KKK. Yes. Right? Once you unmasked those people, they lost their power. This is true. This, yeah. You know, in, in a lot of ways, not all of them, you know, there were public members of the KKK, but if you were burning the cross outside somebody's house and someone pulled off your hood, you weren't a faceless member of a giant scary group anymore. And in some ways, I think the accountability culture, which I guess is kind of a heavy phrase now with how it's used talking about cancel, yeah. cancel culture. So I'll just say the low trust, high accountability culture does have good things about it. And I do appreciate, because of the spiritual element, that there is an equalized playing field in a lot of ways. And there's pressure applied to secret societies. There's pressure applied to people in positions of power to be held account- accountable and transparent for their activities. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. Because if all of the presidents have been Masons, I kind of want to know what Masons do outside of bake sales. Yeah, that's you know, that's or true. if a bunch, of, if the all the Bushes have been Skull and Bones members, I kind of want to know what Skull and Bones members are all about. Yeah, but I mean, on the other side of that, like to push back against that, we don't, and we've known these things for a long time, and we we don't know what they do, we don't know what they want, and like Bohemian Grove is like a thing and there's no way to like get in you know like there's no way to like really investigate a lot of these these orders and so like even though they're now faces to them and people are open about being involved in that me and you are still pretty you know anybody is pretty powerless to do anything you know like uh, about that at least right now um well i think we're powerful in the sense that we decline the offer what do you mean by that? Like, right? Like, so you're a young guy who works in in an influential sphere. It's not out of the realm of reality. Or rather, I'll use friends as an example that have been asked to join the Masons. And really politely, they say, you know what? I'm sorry, I'm Catholic. Like, I can't do that. I really don't believe in, like, the tenets of Freemasonry. And I think that is what makes me say, like, no, you can't not do... I'm going to use a, no- a double negative. You're not in the position where you can't do anything. That's true, yeah. Because by simply not engaging with these things, that's how they die out. Yeah, and it is how they're, they've been dying out at, at the local level. You know, like a lot of these um, these lodges... Or have they? I mean, a lot of... If you look, a lot of, a lot of their <laughs> lodges are up for sale. But... That's the thing I think that's kind of neat about secret societies, or at least makes them kind of artistic and romantic in their own way, which is that 
there is no reason for us to believe, you know, Freemasons, I think, are the most common, so I'll use them. There's no reason for us to believe that Freemasons didn't have a strategy meeting 50 years ago and say we want to downsize, we want to get more secret, we want to spread false rumors about ourselves, and we want to play the long game. Yeah, that's... Which I know sounds silly. But also, like, but... <laughs> stranger things have happened that we... that It's not unfeasible. Yeah, you know? Like, we know. Like, like those Druidic orders, the Druidic secret societies. There are people out dancing in forests every night. Yeah. There's all weird scenes and graffiti and altar tables and ceremonial setups people find every day in forests. Who's to say those aren't the Druidic secret societies of, you know... Of days of yore. Exactly. Of the pre-Roman days. Kind of cool. Yeah. So I guess maybe I would say that I don't... Oh, no, I'm going to give a personal opinion. Give a personal opinion. Do it. I don't like the idea of influential secret societies as an American living living in 2021, as a Catholic living in 2021. But as someone who loves reading books and really appreciates spooky romantic fiction novels, keep them coming. Yeah, and I mean, like, that's kind of the <laughs> hopeful note that I think we can leave on is is that, like, the world, whether you like it or not, I like it, uh, is more mysterious <laughs> than than what, what oftentimes we kind of, like, live in, you know? Like, the world is mm-hmm. full of mysteries, and it's full of, like, strange things that happen, and we don't have answers to all these questions um, that, you know, maybe kind of get brushed under the rug. We just don't know. Um, mm-hmm. And to me, that's hopeful. That's 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 fun. Um, I kind of dig yeah. it. That's what, that's... I just hope they're good. I, yeah, but even if they're not, like, at least it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> At least the at least we have a dark overlord to fight. Yeah, like against. at least he's cool, you know. I want a cool dark overlord rather than some bureaucrat in like an Amazon warehouse, you know. Like, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> Jeff Bezos can die. Yeah, but that's all I have to say. This is true. I won't say anything else because then they'll use this as evidence in one day. They. Uh- <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, we should do an episode about that. We should do an episode about shadow government conspiracies. Oh, that would be so I'm cool. Game. I listen to Coast to Coast. Put it on AM. the list. It's on the list. But. Okay, awesome. So what do you think? Are secret societies good for culture at large? Have they shaped our culture for the better or for the worse? Would you consider joining a club if you didn't know anything about it? Let us know. We can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Catacomb Club. We're also working on a Discord server, so drop a line if you'd be interested in that. This has been The Catacomb Club. Join us every other Tuesday for conversations just like this. And remember, if a stranger ever offers you a sip from a ceremonial goat skull, just say no. Thanks for listening, and God bless.